You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Tuesday, June 9, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington in New York, joined shortly by Ed Harrison from Washington, D.C. But first, Peter Cooper with the latest market stories. Thanks, Ash. Retail fervor continues to grip Wall Street. With the combination of a worldwide shutdown, people being stuck at home bored, and sports and online betting suspended, there's been a surge of accounts opened at online brokerages since March. This has afforded novice investors some entertainment and an opportunity to make a few bucks. Charles Schwab saw a 58% increase in new accounts, while TD Ameritrade saw a 149% increase, and E-Trade a 169% increase. Robinhood saw its first quarter net deposits rise the month average from Q4 2019, and daily trading volume in Q1 of 2020 was three times what it was in the previous quarter. With the introduction of fractional trading and low to no commission costs for various online brokerages, investing has become cheap and simple. That, in combination with March's market nosedive, many young investors pounce on the opportunity. According to InvestNet Yodli, those who are making between $35,000 and $75,000 annually traded stocks about 90% more than the week prior to receiving their stimulus checks. In fact, stock trading was one of the most common uses for the stimulus check from the U.S. government across almost every income bracket. Of course, this sort of speculation from this new surge of retail investors may be temporary as the economy reopens and sports betting picks up speed. A lot of these new investors have been trading equities that will probably rise as the economy reopens, like Delta, Ford, and Carnival. But some of the other stocks that they may have been pouring money into is more confounding. Recently, there's been a lot of excess speculation on stocks whose companies have filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Hertz filed for bankruptcy on May 22nd, but since then, it's up over 700%. JCPenney is up 167% since its declaration on May 15th. Whitting Petroleum is up 835% since April 1st. And Pier 1 Imports has more than doubled in the last two trading sessions. That's still down 97% since filing for bankruptcy on February 17th. Chesapeake Energy may also be filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and its share price jumped 182%. GNC Holdings Incorporation rose 270%. It's unclear if these investors understand that under U.S. bankruptcy laws, equity holders are the last to be paid over the course of Chapter 11 proceedings. But if you think bidding up the equity capital in companies that have already declared bankruptcy is crazy, sit down for this next one. Perhaps the most conspicuous example of excessive speculation is in the case of Nikola Motor Corporation. After its completed merger with Vecto IQ last week, Nikola's market cap stands at over $30 billion today. By comparison, Ford Motor Company is at $28 billion market cap, and GM is at $42 billion. The confounding thing is, Nikola has forecasted zero revenue to come in this year, and its forecasted first billion in revenue won't be until 2023. Nikola is one of the publicly traded companies that received PPP funding back in April, and founder Trevor Milton strongly defended his company receiving its $4.1 million in PPP loans, and was one of the many public companies that had decided to not give back the loan to the Small Business Administration. 
And if you look at who owns the stock, you can see that there's not a lot of institutional buy-in, indicating that the bulk of people who are trading this stock today are likely retail traders. That could be according to Trevor Milton's plan. If you listened to him speak months ago about why he wanted Nikola to go public. For me, I was really happy. It's more of a retail play. And with that, I'll hand it over to you, Ash. Welcome back, Ed. Good to talk to you, Ash. Ed, lots happening in markets. Let's get right started. Uh, what are you looking at? Well, I uh, talked to Michael Howell earlier today for the RV Live. I thought it was a very interesting conversation because he was giving a very different view of how to think about markets. When you think about it from a fundamental perspective, you can also think about it from a technical perspective, but he's thinking about it from a liquidity perspective. And what he said was that liquidity has been so massive uh, that all of the numbers that he looks at in terms of he has a chart which has an R squared of something like uh, 0.5, that it, it's looking like we're going to have a very big increase in M1, M2, and that's going to drive the economy forward. And that's going to be very positive for stocks uh, over at least 2020 uh, for the next few, a, a few months. Very interesting conversation I had. So for those of you who don't speak statistics as a first language the way Ed does, high correlation of a probable uh, great expansion of the money supply, potentially driving U.S. equity markets higher. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Uh, so he, he was saying basically that uh, there's been so much money pumped into the system that it's going to move first, obviously, to fixed income, because that's where the Fed is activating its uh, its activities. And then from there, it's going to move into uh, uh, loans. Uh, we're going to see M1, M2 uh, go up. And he believes that equities will benefit as a result. I, I, I thought it was a very fascinating, I, not necessarily that I buy into it 100% as the end all and be all, but it is a very different view in terms of the wall of liquidity that we're hitting and how markets are reacting to that wall of liquidity. Yeah, let's take a look. Uh, so S&P uh, had a bit of a down leg here at the end of the day, closed down 0.78% uh, at the third. 3,207 level. Uh, NASDAQ, big day, crossed 10,000, obviously, for the first time ever. Huge move. Uh, closed uh, fractionally higher, up 0.29% to the 9953 level. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I'm looking at this. Uh, if you look at the small cap 2000, that was down 1.67%. The Dow was down over a percent. The S&P was down uh, three quarters of a percent, and the NASDAQ was up. That tells you and from a momentum perspective, what we're looking at, it's really people piling into the growth stocks, the big names. Uh, and as a result, uh, the laggards are going behind. From my perspective, it's very reminiscent of the era that we saw in the blow off top uh, in 2000, that you saw the the same sort of outperformance at the end, a very narrowing of, uh, of the performance gap. I think that it's it's dangerous. I don't know how a wall of money is going to continue to have this go forward. But all of the things that we've seen with regard to retail investors piling into a lot of different trades, including the one that Peter was talking about earlier today, these bankrupt companies, I think it's just absolutely astonishing. For instance, Chesapeake Energy, I was looking at that right before we came on today. And what I saw with Chesapeake is Chesapeake was up, you know, over 100 percent. 
uh, to ridiculous levels before it collapsed uh, today as a result of Chesapeake saying that they were going to file for bankruptcy. And of course, it's still trading at $23 a share when everyone knows in bankruptcy, equity holders generally get wiped out. So someone speculating, and I think that they're not going to do well as a result. You know, Ed, there's so many important points there. So, yeah, first of all, absolutely. That this could be some of it is obviously uh, very likely to be short covering, um, but some of it does appear to be speculative. And, you know, look, common stockholders get wiped out in bankruptcies quite frequently. Obviously, they get paid dead last. There are tiers and tiers and tiers of people above them, you know, first uh, taxes and wages, uh, senior secured, uh, junior debtors. I mean, it's everybody gets paid before the bond, before the common stockholders get paid. That's why you get compensated uh, for so much risk on the upside. Uh, and the reality is that uh, many of those people who are buying in now uh, may get hit really hard. Yeah. And so I'm not sure what's really going on, but there have been a lot of stories that are floating around in terms of uh, people, long options, long call options, Robinhood accounts being opened up at a record pace, people who are cooped up in their apartments because of COVID-19 not being able to bet and therefore using the markets as a betting vehicle instead of an investing vehicle. But we have a lot of cross currents that are happening right now in the midst of what appears to be a very negative economic scenario. So, you know, when I was looking at it this morning, when I was thinking about it, there are two possible scenarios. One is, is that the NBR dating committee, uh, which said that the recession began in February of 2020, is saying, is going to eventually say that the recession's over. As we speak, there's no more recession. And in fact, the wall of liquidity will have been enough to push us through such that there isn't another recession. So that means that the reopening is essentially the same as the mark-to-market uh, relaxation that we saw in April of, two th of 2009. That's when you knew for a fact that we were off to the races after the last crisis that we had. The other possible scenario is what I would call a 80-82 scenario. If you remember, January to July 1980 was a very short six-month recession. And then soon thereafter, there was another recession in 81-82, which was deeper and longer. It was a year and a half. And that's where the major carnage was done. Uh, from a bear market perspective. So you had this pop, and then you had the bottom fallout when the, the double dip happened. So those are two possible real economy scenarios that we're looking at. The way that I'm thinking about it right now is the credit cycle hasn't played out as yet, and we really need to see how the credit cycle pay, pays, plays out, and then we need to see in specifically how banks uh, go into that. Talk, talking to Michael Howe today, he was very uh, positive about banks because, you know, banks are much better capitalized than they were in 2008, 2009. Uh, the, the banking sector was the sector that was the problem in 2008, 2009. Now, the banks, they potentially are the ones who are going to pass that liquidity on into the markets because they're well capitalized enough to take care of the losses that, that's coming in the credit cycle. So that, that's sort of the scenario from a real economy perspective. Yeah. 
You know, obviously you're talking about credit cycles. We're talking about the cyclicality, but what about the structural factors? What about the durable destruction in demand that's occurred? The shift in preferences, the shift in consumption patterns, things that cannot simply be modeled because we've never had them before. We've never been in a circumstance uh, where governments have effectively shut down the economy and quarantined people in their houses in our lifetimes. Yeah, so I think that you know the loss of demand is going to drive uh, the economy, uh, some companies to bankruptcy. It's going to make the credit cycle more severe. And then the question is, is that going to also tip us into a double dip recession? You know, we had we had a a sharp downturn. We're in the midst of a, a snapback. I think that eventually they will say that this is now the beginning of a, a new up cycle. But then. You know, does it roll over again as we move into the end of all of the stimulus that we had, the end of stimulus in terms of uh, PPP, the end of stimulus in terms of uh, jobless benefits, the end of stimulus in terms of mortgage forbearance and credit card forbearance, all of those things going away. Plus, we're also seeing the Fed tapering off the amount of liquidity that it's providing to the market. Is that all going to uh, come into play with the consumption demand loss that you're talking about to mean that we dip down again into another recession? If we do, I think that it's going to have a, a very pernicious effect on uh, stocks. And that's not even thinking about COVID-19 and the potential for a second wave or a third wave in, uh, in the fall. Yeah, you know, this is such an interesting model that you're applying because the idea of the double dip is that you can have a short-term pop on the recovery, equity prices can skyrocket in, during that period, uh, and simultaneously you can have cyclical and structural factors causing a drag on the real economy, you know, going forward three, four, five, six months, and then have another collapse. Right. You know, I mean, and, and even if you're talking about a, a longer recession, there are always going to be bear market rallies that, that will suck you in. A lot of people have been talking about 29 to 32. But I think that it, it's, a, you know, you could even look at 2008, 2009. 2008, you know, you had a, a negative 2.16% real GDP decline in Q4. And so you had a pop, at, you know, after you saw the government come in and step in and hit uh, Lehman Brothers, hit AIG, you know, make everyone whole on their, on their uh, bids against AIG. But then, you know, there was another leg down and we continued down until March 2009. Same thing is true in 8082 that, you know, you saw the market come back. But then it wasn't until 1982 that we actually hit the lows. So, Ed, it's, that's very interesting. And when you look at all of these historical precedents, what do you think that portends for your base case? My base case is still that, yes, the reopening was a, a, a trigger event for some momentum to the upside. Uh, there's outperformance, but that there is a lot of headwind going forward and that I expect that earnings uh, visibility will come back into the picture and earnings visibility will be a show uh, downside, both in terms of uh, Q4, Q3, Q4, but also in terms of 2021. And unless uh, we continue to have this earnings expansion, because all of the, the, um, all of the upside that we've seen is from earnings expansion since... Uh, we've, we hit uh, the reopening, 
really you're going to have to have markets roll over. Uh, it, it's almost unprecedented to have a recession and 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 to to roll through that recession based upon multiple expansion. Uh, so mm-hmm. earnings multiples expansion through a recession and then into the next uh, bull market is uh, is unheard of. It's unprecedented. So I, I don't see it happening. Yeah. You know, you pointed out on the Dow, uh, the big loser of the day, minus uh, almost 1.1% uh, off 300 points. This uh, Dow dropping, as you pointed out, and the NASDAQ rising simultaneously, it does remind me of the days of the go-go 90s. I mean, you and I were both uh, young guys on Wall Street at the time, and it's these strange sort of flashbacks. It's interesting because it feels slightly different. And I guess this is sort of the old chestnut about how history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. We were all hanging on CNN. NBC, waiting to see what Abby Joseph Cohen had to say about the next IPO. It feels a little bit different this time. Uh, I guess the mechanics can vary a bit. But what are your thoughts about that? Is this the sort of uh, is this the sort of irrational optimism that we saw? It's a lot of tech names that are getting picked up here. Yeah, I mean, for me, the bankruptcy stuff, you know, the Hertzes of the world, the Chesapeake's, all of those names uh, being bid up, especially even after they've been in Chapter Eleven. It makes no sense to me. Even when you're talking about short covering, it may, yeah. uh, you know it doesn't make sense. It, it's certainly speculative. I thought it was interesting. I, I actually really liked the interview of Larry McDonald with Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, he had some things to say. You, you could call it somewhat hyperbolic to compare anything to the internet bubble because there's nothing quite as bubblicious as that. But nonetheless, I think that he was right in saying that it feels, it, it, for people like you and me who were there, it feels a lot like uh, the internet bubble. That is, you get to a point where no amount of, uh, of contortions can rationalize uh, the, the price movements in some of these. these uh, it's pure momentum. It has nothing to do with the fundamentals whatsoever. Yeah. And, you know, Mark Cuban wasn't pulling any punches. He just comes right out and say it. He says, uh, quote, to me, uh, this feels just like it, right? I mean, he's he's being really blunt about it and, and about the uncertainty on it. And he says, uh, "Look, you know, there's the possibility." The other quote that I took from it was, uh, "Straight up, straight down." And that's you know, so but, view for the potential, not that it's certainly going to happen, but that's a possible outcome here. The the question, therefore, is: I mean, where are we in the cycle? Where are we in the economic cycle? Where are we in the market cycle? Because all of that suggests late cycle, right? I mean, if he's talking about straight up, straight down, that's late cycle. Or is it just a pocket within the market? It's not the market as a whole, but it's a part of the market. But, you know, I looked at some of the numbers. The market's now trading at 20 times forward-looking earnings, 2021 earnings. That's the most expensive that the market's been since 2002. Okay, so that right there tells you that even if, and remember, I was just saying before, 2021 earnings are probably going to get cut. So 20 goes to 23, 24 times. Is that a market that is sustainable over the long term? Uh, That's multiple expansion. I say it's not, especially uh, because we're very early phases of a bull market, if, if that's the case. And bull markets don't start from those levels. Yeah. 
You know, to pick up on something you said, is this the broader market or is this just a pocket? Uh, Mr. Cuban today seemed to be suggesting it's the whole market. He was talking about the risk of moral hazard. He was talking about hedge fund managers not being able to sit out uh, while these rallies happen uh, because they're going to have to explain their lack of performance. So everyone has to jump in. It's musical chairs. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the dichotomy that I showed you with the small cap 2000, uh, the Dow, the S&P, and then going up to the, the Nasdaq shows you that's w w what's happening. It's yeah. purely about the momentum. You have to get into the areas. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it was a straight line between, you know, uh, old, old wall, you know, old uh, uh, school stuff to the new school stuff at the, at the highest. So we're getting this narrow uh, leadership. Yeah. And I think that that's a very dangerous thing. 30, 38% of the NASDAQ is the mega cap stocks, 38%. So how long this can go on, uh, who knows? Uh, but it, it does have the feeling to me, having been there, having lived it, having actually worked in the internet uh, uh, you know, for Yahoo, uh, I worked with Juno Online Services, you know, I was there, I'm telling you, it, it does, Mark Cuban is right, it does have that feel. And uh, and I don't think it can last much longer. I think that, you know, by, as I've said before, September, October time frame, we're going to see a, a reckoning and, uh, and, and th that excess will be uh, taken off. Uh, and then the question is, uh, where are we again in the cycle? My view is, is that we're going to say that we're late cycle. We're not early cycle. And uh, and that's that, that could mean, you know, an, another leg down from there for the entire market. Uh, we just we just have to see. But uh, I, I think it's extraordinary times right now in terms of uh, the excess that we're seeing. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything like it in, in the last 20 years. Well, you know, the other thing that's worth remarking on is when we think back about that period, those of us who were there, we remember the uh, when the Nasdaq rolled over, when the uh, I think it was his name was Judge Penfield Jackson ruled that uh, Microsoft was going to be broken up on uh, Sherman Antitrust Act uh, grounds. Ultimately, it was reversed at a higher court. Uh, but that was a moment that things began to come unglued, the idea that Microsoft was going to get divested. We remember that moment. But it's also worth remarking uh, that markets can stay unnaturally elevated for very long periods of time. And we don't know where we are in that cycle yet. Yeah. But, you know, I, I remember uh, a friend of mine who was a more fundamental investor, and he was shorting uh, Juniper and uh, and a bunch of other stocks like that. And, you know, they would come out with their earnings and, you know, he would have to cover his shorts because the thing just popped uh it's all about you know momentum and beating earnings. I right. think that what we're going to see in Q3 is not that sort of uh, a dynamic. We're going to see the opposite dynamic. So I think that what we're seeing right now is economic outperformance, and we're seeing a lack of visibility giving uh, companies a window in, in which to uh, see these pops. But when we can see the Q3 earnings, that's when we'll know, actually, your Q3, your Q4, and your 2021 forecasts are telling me that I'm overly optimistic and that I need to sell.
You know, along exactly that time frame, the other point that Mark Cuban brought up was that the stimulus uh, is going to begin to be withdrawn on July 31st. We have 21.1 million people uh, getting stimulus right now, uh, and 68% of people receiving stimulus bonuses are making more than they were at their regular jobs. Now, obviously, this has an effect on stoking additional demand. It means they have more discretionary income uh, than they did prior to the crisis. So the question is, when that begins to get withdrawn, uh, what happens next during that Q3? It's exactly the time frame you've been pointing to, Ed. Right, yeah. So I think we're focusing a lot on the United States here. If you look around the world, it's not just what's going to happen in Q3 or Q4 in the United States, but also other countries like in Latin America. What's going to happen there where COVID-19 is raging out of control? What's going to happen in the European Union where they're still fighting over how much stimulus they're going to get? Uh, is there going to be any sort of uh, of uh, of rally there that is uh, as economic rally that is underpinning the rally that we've seen in shares there? I think that uh, w it's it, it's not looking good, but I still have an open mind. What I'm looking forward to over the next two days is to see what our guest commenters here on RBDB are going to say. So we've locked them down now. So we yes. have Jay Pulaski tomorrow, uh, who I've spoken to in the past. He's going to speak to you. I know that he is relatively bullish, so I'm really looking forward to what he had to say. Uh, he's not talking from a, uh, a perspective of liquidity the way that Michael Howell was earlier today. And then tomorrow we're going to talk to a, um, a value investor, uh, Lloyd Connor. So I think that will be very good. And he's going to talk about in this kind of environment, even if you think uh, that you know things were overvalued. What, what's what's available? He told me when I spoke to him earlier today that he's seen because of this hundred year flood of uh, the COVID-19 crisis, a lot of uh, opportunities to pick up. So I'd like to pick his brain on what those opportunities are uh, going forward. And how do you think about individual stocks in this kind of environment? So I think interesting to get a, a diversity of opinions, uh, people who are looking at it from a bullish perspective and who have some data and a, a framework to back that up. Yeah, I think that's so important for balance because we really are, um, we keep saying these words, uh, we are in uncharted waters, totally unprecedented, and we really do need to get the balance from, I think, as many voices as we can who are looking at markets in a variety of different ways. Yeah, it's really so the only thing you can do to stay, to stay right. informed. Yeah, and, and, you know, uh, you don't have to buy into what they have to say, but if if it's a cogent uh, framework, uh, they make a lot of sense. It's something for you to think about before you pull the trigger or you move in the opposite direction. You have to be very sure that, uh, you know, you're, you're not making a mistake. Very well said and the perfect place to leave it. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.